0: Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, RedemptionsHill.com. All right, well, good morning again. It's good to be here uh, with you. We'll jump right into it. We've been in a series over the book of First John, and we'll be there again uh, this morning. If you've been with us in this series, or if you've been kind of listening in, Uh, There's been constant reminders that we've worked really hard to place in front of you, and it's not because we're out of great ideas. We just want to keep the main idea in front of us. These ideas that we've kept ahead of us are the same thematic constant reminders that John actually shows in this book over and over and over again, which are truth, obedience, and love. These are essential. What we we want to understand is that these three things are non-negotiable. They are foundational to our faith, because as John will show, they are intrinsically part of God, right? These aren't just three random things, not a certain tradition made them up. These things, truth, obedience, and love are a part of God himself. And I want to press on that to make sure that we really get that. As John's keeps mentioning these themes, he isn't trying to get us to focus on these areas and achieve more. Uh, he isn't going, man, I just really would like if they take these things that are important to me just a whole lot more seriously. He, he's not doing that either. He's literally hitting on them over and over and over so that hopefully we will see in these things they are God. God is truth. God is holy and, and obedient, and God is loving, right? So, so truth, the first idea there, truth is not dependent on your feeling or what you want or what you think. John is showing us God is. He is the creator who sets the stage for all of his creation, meaning he as creator, uh, he gets to set the stage for how his creation works in every single thing, meaning uh, he gets to set the parameters, really. The unchanging God, therefore, has, has set forth unchanging truth, and as we live in relationship with God, we will live inside of his truth instead of denying it. Truth is God. Obedience, this one's kind of cut and dry. God is holy. There is no need for God to have a PR campaign. He doesn't try and be like, hey, don't pay attention to this part of my character. He doesn't try and have facades like we do. God is holy. And he calls us into his marvelous light, which is really to live in his holiness. So really this obedience, it isn't supposed to be an obligation. Obedience and holiness is just meant to be our home. Not out of elitism, but the holy God has pulled us into his holy light, and that is where we live. And then love, today we will hear it, that third theme that John won't kind of let go. It's going to say that God is love twice. And we'll try and wrap our minds around that, because if you're following our culture's idea of what God is love means, is not at all what the text is trying to show us, but what they want us to know is God isn't a source of love. God isn't one single conduit of many. He isn't one mode of love. God literally is. It is, is his character. It is who he is. God is love. And as his children, we're called to live inside the love of God, which looks like in this text, loving one another. I go through this hopefully so that we'll see these three areas of focus when we press on them, when we understand them. We're not pressing on getting better. We're pressing into the character of God, and we get to know him more in his loving arms by taking these things seriously. I don't want to pretend that they're basic. I don't want to pretend that these things are easy or oversimplified, but I just want us to see the deeper you go in truth, obedience, and love, the more you will experience God. And the more you experience God, the more your soul will be filled, and as John says at the beginning of the book, your joy will be completed in the Father who's created all things and invites you in, right? Yeah, We, we want to experience the character of God and really the love of God through this. So it, it, it's interesting here. Um, the deeper you go into love, the deeper you'll experience his love. Uh, now, w- what we want to do before we dig too far into this text is really understand if, if you believe that experiencing and living in God's love is a big deal, it changes things quite a bit because we often wonder things in our life like, what's my gifting? Right? How many have taken like 18 spiritual gift inventories and you're still like, I really am confused? So we we take these things. What's my gifting? What's my talent? What's my role? What good can I bring? What difference can I bring in uh, the the world? How can I uh, really see the kingdom of God come more fully because of what I do and how I live? And what John wants to say is, hey, a primary way that, that you can see the kingdom of God come through more is by loving one another. It's that profound. Love does something. He wants us to understand really that love moves mountains because people come to life through seeing the love of God. And we'll explain that more as we, go here. Now, before we dig in the text, we'll do a little overarching look at John. In chapter 2, he said, hey, I'm bringing you a new command that actually it's a really old command that you love the brothers, which is the family of God, your church family. And he says in chapter 2 as well, there's a warning. Hey, be careful about your love of the world. So he calls us to love each other and simultaneously is be careful of your love of the world. And what he's getting at is, hey, if you're too captivated with the world, If you're too enthralled, if you are too into the things of the world around you, then you will have no capacity left to be able to love the people around you. So love your brothers, but understand you need to keep in check the way you love the world in order to love your brothers. Then in chapter 3, John goes back at it again, saying love one another. Even if the world hates you for it, do not let that affect the way that you love the people around you in the family of God. In chapter 4 today, uh, we're going to hear beloved love one another because God is love, and then we'll land the book, chapter 6, with, with this teaching of a balancing between love and truth because if we know much or if we watch much around us, we really struggle with balancing those things out. We're either heavy love and light on truth or heavy truth and light on love, and John wants to be us to be able to, in maturity, walk those things out. Again, four times in this book, we hear love one another. The hope, again, is that we wouldn't hear that as the same thing three or four times, but as the main thing, and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of help us get it. So 1 John 4, 7 through 21 is where we'll be at today. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. Again, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, maybe one of the most overlooked verses, but a profound thing we're going to latch on to today. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us, though. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe uh, the love that God has for us. God is love. There's the second time. He's, He's making sure we see it. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If another says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the, the word of the Lord. And I want to front load this much like I did last week. In these texts where he's mentioning love multiple times and truth multiple times, we're going to take one angle in. We will not exhaustively cover everything that happened there because there's a whole lot of turns and we just don't have the time for that. So there's more, and there's meat on the bone. We're going to leave, and and I know that, and I get that. But uh, we'll jump into looking at the part that we want to for today. So uh, at my house, me and my wife, Allison, we often refer to the boys not by their given names, right? So we'll say things like, well, she uses this one more than me. Uh, My sweet boy, Eh, that's hers, right? And, And we call the boys little man all the time, or goofball, or we often call, you might be able to guess which one, we call one of them Hulk, all the time. Uh, if, if this is something that you understand, what we're kind of doing uh, is giving them these names that are tied to their identity or how we see them in the moment. They literally speak to who they are or who they are being. John kind of implores this to start off the text today by giving these identity statements, and he does it a couple times, and it's not meant to be cute. It's meant to be really impactful. He calls those who are Christians, who follow Jesus, he calls them in this text, beloved. Now, this is a much stronger version than me and Allie calling our, our, our kids names. Uh, this is actually speaking into John saying, this is who you are. It's not how I see you. It's literally who you are. This is your identity. Those uh, who are in Christ, they don't hope to be beloved. Beloved. They don't cross their fingers and say maybe. They don't try and earn their actions and so that God will love them. John is speaking to our hearts saying, hey, just slow down and understand. If you are in Christ, regardless of your week, regardless of how you feel this morning, regardless of all the other things, you are loved fully. You'll never be more loved than you are right now because you are fully beloved. Beloved, God loves you deeply. This is what he wants us to know before he ever does anything else. John then models really good biblical theology here in the text. Uh, It highlights, or he highlights, who we are before it ever mentions anything that we must do, right? So John says, beloved, love one of God, that is who you already are, that, that is what is true of you, out of that identity, out of that reality, out of that beautiful, unshakable part of your character that God has given you, let us love one another. So the understanding is loved one, Love one another. Not, if you love one another, I'll love you. Loved one, you are fully loved. Out of that love, go love one another. All that we're going to cover in the text really flows out of that single opening line. Beloved, love one another knowing that this is the third time that we cover this love text uh, i want to make sure that we don't assume anything wrongly by assuming that he's saying something that he's not so so we'll just kind of keep our bearings around this john does not say beloved let us learn to tolerate each other he, he doesn't say beloved let us be nice to one another He doesn't say, Beloved, let us engage in small-ish talk with one another so we don't fully become known. He doesn't say, uh, Beloved, see each other once every two or three weeks when the schedule uh, allows. He doesn't say, Beloved, help everyone or help each other out of a feeling of duty or obligation. No, John says, Beloved, let us, this is all of us, because we are in Christ, let us love one another. Which leads to maybe the second question that we should press on here from the start. You may ask, well, why didn't John say, Beloved, love everyone? Why, did, why didn't he say, hey, hey, since you were loved, loved everyone uh, around you? In context of Redemption's Hill, this would be John saying something like, Redemption's Hill, because you are beloved, love your Redemption's Hill family. But he doesn't say that. Why doesn't he say, love everybody? And the short answer is probably this, because it's much harder to love one another. You ever experience it's harder to love the people who are closest to you? Hardest to love family? You ever notice that part of of your character where maybe you'll lash out or have a shorter fuse or treat the people who are the closest to you, maybe the the hardest? I don't think John is saying, hey, don't care about everyone else. He's he's starting, hey, start from the hardest spot. Love the family. Love one another because this is going to be a grind and it's going to be difficult. See, we seem to be able to generally show maybe a, a modicum of grace to unbelievers at times. Not all the time, but maybe somebody does something and you're like, hey, I understand, they haven't received Christ, they, they, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe it's some sort of, of line like that, and you're like, I get it, because they're, you know, in John's words, they're still in darkness. But then maybe you look at somebody who's in the church family and you've walked with them for two, three, five, ten years, and, and they do something and your immediate reaction is, how dumb are you? How many times will you do this? I can't believe you did that. I mean, you're a Christian. You go to church, we'll immediately have these shorter wicks with the family of believers. And I think that's why John is saying, hey, let's make sure we love one another because it can spill out into other places because we find ourselves frustrated and and bitter and maybe angry or disappointed uh, with the people who are around us because in close proximity to each other, which is how the Bible directs us to live, not, not out as lone rangers, but in community, when we are in close proximity, here's the hard reality that we have to understand. There's nowhere to hide. If you are truly around other people, your weaknesses will be seen. Your sins will be seen. We'll be keenly aware of each other's proclivities and then let's be honest, like each other's annoying traits. If we're around long enough, we'll see all of that. In this type of environment where you are really known. It takes love or it takes work to love each other. It's not very easy. Because in the middle of that, when love becomes difficult, when people become annoying, when people let you down, which let's just set the stage uh, straight. If you stay long enough, you will let others down and others will let you down. But because of grace, we should be able to still walk together. It will be hard when people let you down or when you live in, in real community to not run when things get less than desirable for you. This running away or dropping of people when, when they become a problem or annoying or boring, this moving on uh, from other people when there's just anything that you don't like, we have to understand that is a serious marker of our culture right now. Lasting staying power in community is an anomaly. W- what do we think of as staying power now? 13 months? 14 months? But what about someone who sticks it out with a community of people for 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years? You don't see that very much anymore. Think about what happens right now. How often do people switch homes? How often do people switch jobs? Like the average uh, uh, stay at a job is like a tenth of what it used to be. How often do we switch hobbies? Do we get bored in one place and so we go switch hobbies to another thing and and we meet kind of a new culture of people and a new group of people and really to to, to our heartache, how often do people switch churches? Well, they frustrated me. Oh, they let me down and, and we move on. Could it be... That just when we become planted long enough with a group of people, when we start to to truly know other people and we truly become known, right when this happens, our culture has this problem with right in the tension. When you're just there long enough, then we split and we leave. Absolutely, this can be tied to our culture's uh, more transient nature, but it it maybe requires us to ask a question. Why are we transient? And have we become a little bit more transient as an excuse just not to love people? to chase the next best thing, to get the next thing, and and we kind of hide behind, well, it's what's best for my family, but we just move on from people. I know that's maybe not everyone, but it's it's worth considering how long will we stay planted, because John wants us to understand to love other people. It's going to be hard, and it's going to take time. Then we have to hear what John says next in the text. He starts with, beloved, let us love one another. Four, that is, because love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. Conversely, he says this, and he he really loves to give a statement one way and then give us the opposite so that we can't get away from it. And whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. When we analyze what is said there, John is making a kind of a bold assertion. He says love is from God, and that's really specific and a pointed claim. Love isn't from the universe Love isn't from your heart. Love isn't from your feelings. Love is one fountain. It is one location. It is one source. Love is from God. That type of exclusivity claim is not really popular right now, but again, that goes back to truth. Does God hold truth or to what we feel hold truth? And John doubles down on this when he states, those who love were born of God and those who do not love do not know God because God is love. So here's the understanding. If God literally is love, if that's who he is, and you say you know God, who is love, but you don't love, John's going, no, 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 it's not possible, because God literally is love. We have to grab a hold of this. Now, this single statement that he shows, God is love, and he does it twice, it's become a little bit awkward in our world, because what we've done is we've taken that statement, we've grabbed a hold of it, and we've molded it to mean whatever we want it to mean. The popular kind of cultural meaning right now for God is love has actually now become this. Uh, God is love means to most people actually God has no wrath. That's what God is love means in culture by and large now. And they wouldn't say it that way most likely, but this is what it's set up to mean. That if God is love, then ipso facto a loving God wouldn't have a wrath for people that he loves. Loves. So because God is love, that means that my actions don't matter because he won't have wrath for me because he loves me and I'm a person. God will essentially love me outside of what I do because he is loving. This God is love has essentially become a smokescreen that says, hey, don't pay attention to what I do. Or it's okay for me to be disobedient because God will overlook my disobedience or I'll label him as unloving. God is love has been a thrown out statement that kind of just says, let me do what I want. That's not at all what John wants us to see here. This is not how he's talking about it. He is saying literally God is love. It's who he is. Love is not something that God does. Uh, It's not a trait that he embodies when he chooses to with people that he chooses to. Love is literally a a, a part of the Godhead because God is is love. That's why John can say with certainty, anyone who does not love doesn't actually know God because that would be impossible. Because if you know and abide with God, then part of that would be to become loving because God is love. To be born of God is to be born into love. That's a key idea there. And that also gets repeated in maybe a different way in verse 19 through 21. And Again, I appreciate the pattern that John sticks with. Whoever he, uh, whenever he calls us to love, he also ties that call with showing us the love that we first received. Verse 19 says it this way, we love because God first loved us. But we see that love explained clearly in verse 9 from the text where it says, in this, love was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we may live through him. If you're familiar with the text, this is really clear to what John 3, 16 and 17 says, but here the specificity of what John is saying, love was made manifest. Okay, God is love, and so he is made manifest, he is made visible, he's made clear and apparent through sending Jesus into the world. Why though? Why was love made manifest through Jesus coming into the world? Well, it was made manifest because when we see Jesus, we see God. John 12, and 45 says it this way, And Jesus cries out, cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. When you look at Jesus, you are seeing the Father. This is why we often get a little confused, and we have this split, two-side-of-a-coin view of the Godhead. And I think we've all maybe done this at one point or another, especially when we're younger in the faith and don't read more of the Word, or maybe we just kind of get out into a weird spot, but we can tend to think that God is the angrier part of the Godhead. Like God the Father is the angry, the short-fused, the more wrathful one. But Jesus, you know, he's just more chill and he's more loving and he's more kind and more compassionate. But that really misunderstands that when we see Jesus whether it be through the gospel or whether the Holy Spirit illuminates who Jesus is for us. Whenever we see Jesus, when we're we're seeing him in that moment, we're experiencing the Father as well because the very image that we get of Jesus is also an image of the Father. It's showing us what God is like. And hopefully we can understand there is no Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, uh, element to the Godhead. There isn't one nice one and, and one mean one. There isn't a good cop and a, and a bad cop. There isn't a, a mean dad and a kind mom. There is the, 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 the Godhead who, who are, are completely in unison in, in who they are. We still may be asking, but why? Why is John so caught up with this loving one uh, another, with loving each other? So God makes visible his love through sending Jesus, But verse 12 maybe gives us an aha moment on why John presses so much on this. No one has ever seen God. We've got to think about what that means. Follow me. This this verse just says it specifically. It's not metaphorical. No one has ever seen God, so how can they see love? Right, because God is love. John pushes here. Does God sent Jesus to make his love manifest to the world? Yes, for sure that is true. And God sent Jesus also to be the propitiation for our sins, which just means that the wrath owed to us was turned into blessing through what Jesus did? Absolutely. But on another hand, or another way to look at it, is God also sent Jesus specifically to show you his love and show you who he is. He sent him so you could see the Father. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? It was out of love. He wanted to show the world his love. Yes, there was a, waking, a making a way out of sin, but Jesus is the manifestation of God's love to the world. How will they see God without Jesus? The answer is they will not, but now Jesus has already come. He's already lived. He's already died. He's already rose again meaning Jesus is not in the world like he was in the flesh and blood in the same way as as he was before. So the question becomes, if Jesus isn't still present in the world, how will the world now see God's love? I hope that you're following me here. How will we be able to see the invisible God? How can we see that God is love if Jesus, the embodiment of God, isn't here anymore? And the answer to that is through the love of God's people towards each other. The first plan was to send Jesus to see the love of God and see who God is. And now Jesus has done his work and he sends us out and goes, okay, now it's your turn, tag. Now you go show the world the love of God by your love for each other, And I'm pressing on it on several angles in hopes that it really just sinks in and lands differently. When you begin to, to kind of wonder if you really have any, any, any missional influence in the world, uh, if you can have an missional effect, the answer is absolutely you can. Just go love and love deeply. Is love all? No, because we have to hold truth too. But love, uh, in a way that does not look like the world's love, will be provocative to the world because it will show them something they don't have. Remember, the word says the world already loves those who love them. But real love, this biblical love, this kind that illuminates who God really is and that God is love isn't the kind of love that only loves people who've already loved them. That, that's like a karma back-and-forth trade. If you love me, then I will love you back. But real love doesn't do that way. Real love gets sent out first in action, not just in feeling. Real love does things that are, that are very weird to our culture, like praise for your enemies, it prays for the family members in Christ, even when they frustrated you or done wrong. It prays for healing over relationships. Real love contends to stay together when the rest of the world just is so eager to split apart. And they do it through text messaging or, or just Jim, Jimmy Hoffing, just disappearing. Real love stays. And it believes the best out of each other. And it forgives and real love doesn't hold grudges, and and real love doesn't expect to be paid back, well, I loved you this way, and and I got nothing in return. That isn't real love. That's a bartering agreement. Real love pours itself out, not out of obligation or duty. Real love is pure. It is given freely, and it shines brightly, the love of God into a dark world who needs to see it. This type of love, when the world sees it, screams this, this is what my dad is like. It's profoundly different than what they'll experience. This love is not meant to show how amazing we are how cool of a a niche little community that we have built. No, the church should want to always show the world, let me show you my father. Whenever we get into these phases through media or other stuff to to show the world how relevant we are, how cool we are, how hip we are, how, how media savvy we are, we have completely missed the mark. The mark of the church is, here's my dad see him on display, see this community that becomes almost intoxicating because it looks so, so different than the world. This is a really clear picture of mission, especially mission in our current cultural climate. And it gives a clear idea for why the Bible calls us ambassadors of Christ and what that actually means. We show the world what the person we represent is like We illuminate him. We make visible the invisible God. We cast his presence in the world going, you have no other way to see him but through me, through me living out his love and living out his truth. So let me show you the Father through leaning into him and his love personally and then giving it to the people around us freely in a pure way that does not demand other things back. Now, this part of our calling To love each other in such a provocative way that shows the world what our doubt is like is something that's, I'll be honest with you, just a really large cause for concern right now for me and several other of my pastor friends. All right, we've been in a pandemic, surprise. 14 months, a really, really long time. And now because of that pandemic, we've started to see a phenomenon take off. And I call it a phenomenon because it's not normal. That phenomenon is this, the phenomenon of online church community. All over, I'm not just talking about us, all over the West. And I hope that you hear my heart. I'm not trying to be frustrated or anything like that. What we need to understand on a base level is we've invented terms that aren't real online and community, they don't go together, they're opposites. Now, we've created it out of a need because we haven't had anything else that we could do. And, and I get it, we, we have a live stream going right now and I'm glad that we can, we can have that for a little bit longer, but uh, we created that because when we literally couldn't gather and there was nothing else we can do, and right now, while we don't quite have our, our kids' classes back, praise God, they're gonna be coming back soon. Since we didn't have those things available and we had nothing else, we wanted a way that people could at least listen into the gospel. But as the pandemic, Ends and kind of kids classes uh, begin to return. We'll, we'll most likely shut that thing down. Why? Because it's not church and it's not community. Listening in, tuning in, watching online will never uh, will never facilitate the beauty of what is the body of Christ. Let me explain again. When people begin to attend church online, again, attend online, that's not possible. We've made up a term to kind of deal with our suffering because the lately phase that we've been in, it hurts. So we made up this term to pretend that we're apart when we're not. And that's not to be mean. It's just the reality of what it is. When people say that they attend church online as their norm, not just our church, but in the West, if that stays when the pandemic goes away all over our nation, then here's the thing in light of this text that we really need to wrestle with. How will the world see God through our love for each other when online churches created a system where we never actually see each other? Are you following me or am I ranting? if we accept that our love in the church community shows God to the world? What if we grasp this? God will literally reach out and love other people who don't know him through you loving others well. That's that's why it says perfected multiple times. When we hear perfected, we hear like a a no-hitter or a perfect diamond or a flawless thing. When it says so that love can be perfected in this scripture, in their language, it means so that, that the point of love can come out, which in this text means the point of your love is so that other people can see your dad. If we believe this, A lot, that God literally begins to love other people through our love, then we just have to understand at a base level we'll have to be together in order to actually live in community to love each other. We can no longer show the world God if we do not do life together. And I pray that this text kind of serves as a, as a catalyst and a, and, a, and a press towards loving each other well. And I, and I hope that it causes a drive to, to do more than attend than on Sunday, but that maybe we would re-engage in community, in vital, formational, dare I say, obedient Christian life, which is lived together. I also pray that this text may serve as a breath of fresh air for us in really an unexpected way because the pandemic in the last 14 months have, have really given us a lot of hardship, but they've also given us some gifts because what we've been able to do is see things that we just couldn't see before. And, and maybe we'll learn in, in kind of an encouraging way, maybe we'll learn that maybe we've done mission wrong for like a really long time. Meaning so often mission has been just inviting a person to just this Sunday gathering, or mission most likely has looked like trying to convince other people that they should conform to who we are, right? Let me convince them to be moral. Let me convince them to be like me, or they should believe like we do, or they, they should accept what we accept. If we're really honest, maybe we would say mission has, has really been for you more of just trying to convince other people in the world that you're normal. That's been mission. or or to convince them that you're cool, or that you're fun, or that you're tolerant, or really to try and just express something to to make the people around you just think that Jesus is palatable. Maybe it's been that more than showing the world what Jesus is like through us, by inviting them into community to to demonstrate to them the love of God. Meaning, if we started believing that loving each other really gave a window or an open door into seeing who God is, maybe we'd be less preoccupied with making people fit through our mold or come to a Sunday service and and more just interested in doing actually really fun things like having dinners with believers and unbelievers together and then just acting like who we are and putting no facade on. That doesn't sound nearly as hard. Or what if we really believe this and we started inviting unbelieving people into our DNAs and we literally changed nothing? This is who our God is. This is how we operate around his truth. Come on, come be a part. You can make, let the chips fall where they may. You may come back. You may think we're cray-cray, but we're just gonna show you God by inviting you in to see what he is doing in us. I hope that you would maybe be encouraged in that. The goal is not so much to try and sell Jesus, as to show him. Everyone will have to make their own decision, but I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm showing you who God is through Jesus and through our love, and and then you get to kind of do what you want with that, and I'll pray for you along the way. This is picking up the ancient biblical model of, of come and see. Come and see. Come see not our building or come see not our relevance or anything like that, but come see Jesus at work In us by seeing the community that he's built out of a bunch of imperfect people like us come see the beauty inside what used to be our mess are we perfect absolutely not but see how he has changed the way that we engage and that we love in who he is and what this really does is it invites people in and you pull back the curtain and go here's a picture of who we are the good the bad and the ugly i hope that you see the love of god through how we operate what if that's the most appealing thing or most missional thing that you could do in the world this year is just begin to not invent new spaces to, to, to be missional, but you just start inviting people into your life amongst the community. Ray Orloon says it this way, the church should be the most humane and attractive thing in the world because in it, the world sees something that they don't see anywhere else. Guys, I want us to be able to say that that's true again. That when people come in, they don't go, I see the same angry people as I see at my job. But they see I see this beautiful self-sacrificing love towards each other. And there's something about that that I just can't turn my, my face away. A beautiful community of love showing the world God's love through our loving, and, and here's the understanding, because we're never going to give away truth in order to love. What we're hoping is functionally that when we love and the world sees us and they're invited in, that it puts the foot in front of the door and causes a gap, and then we can insert the truth of the gospel along the way so they could see the reason that we're loving. Because we can do mission wrong by just showing people, hey, look how, how loving we are, and then we kind of go, because I'm awesome, and I've just learned to be a really nice person, even to people that are annoying. There's no gospel behind that, but that there would open a door that we could share truth with that, and he'll land the book by helping us balance truth and love together. We'll try and land this way, right? We've taken one very specific angle in. We don't have four big ideas or four big takeaways. The hope and prayer is just this, though. What if we recaptured Jesus' beautiful vision for biblical community? What if we stopped seeing community as duty or option or inconvenience or anything else? But what if we saw it as something beautiful? And we pushed into it, doing our best to not be perfect people, but to be honest people, even with where we struggle, because we know the gospel still makes us a son of God, even when we show our struggles. But in and amongst that community, we do our best to love each other well, to love like Jesus. And this community that shares the truth of God with each other, as it loves each other like God has first loved them. How beautiful would this be to personally live inside? How breathtaking would it be to actually live in that? Maybe your heart's going, I just don't know that it's true. I've tried. Well, let's try again. Let's try again. I'll push you even more. What if your devotion to loving the church family well, to being planted and present and intentional, and your boldness to invite other people into that church community in some form or fashion, what if that led to your best friend knowing Jesus? Your best friend, what if it led to your mom or your dad or your neighbor or your co-worker knowing Jesus because you stopped trying to make them like you and just said, here's Jesus, where you see the reality of what has changed me. What if it actually happens? I pray that we'll receive that and believe it. Now, knowing that the past 14 months have been kind of insanely difficult for us and that for a time, we've just had to stay away from each other Today may be a good time to kind of ask, as we're coming out the other side of that, what does my process of re-entry into true community look like? We're not six months in anymore, guys. Anyone can get vaccinated. We're a ways in. It may be a good thing to ask, what's the process look like? What's my plan? What's my goal now to live life with other people and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about what he may say to you? What we've had, I think, really over the last probably about six weeks is several people over and over, the Spirit has just led them to go, hey, it's time. And maybe he would say that to us or, or a deeper version of, hey, it's time for, for even, even more community than you've had now. And that we'd be open to re-enter into community so that we could love each other well, experience mission, and share truth, and live amongst the community of believers in the kingdom of God the way that we are called to. And here's the other side. Believer, if you've been making steps to reenter in community actively already, and you've experienced some form of joy back in and kind of living in the love of the church community and your heart just finds itself just a little bit grateful, then here's a great play. Just say thank you as we worship today. Express your gratitude, God, you have given me a good gift in the church family, and and we're starting to kind of redo that whole thing, and you filled my heart again with community, and there's been laughter and joy and truth shared, and I'm just thankful for that. We do not always have to lament and repent every text. If God is doing a good work, then celebrate that. God, thank you. Thank you that you're doing that. Thank you that you're still working. Thank you that there's been a good work over the last couple months in me. Help me to keep pressing into that and invite other people in it so that your name and fame could be spread and so I never forget your truth. May we be humble enough to ask God about where we're at in community and may we not be so self-loathing that we can't celebrate if he's done something good. That's the hope. Band, you guys can come back up. God sent his son to show us his love. When Jesus has fully done his work, he will return one day through his spirit. We can still live in relationship with Jesus, but now it is our turn to go into the world and make disciples and show the love of Jesus. And I hope that your heart, in all of our insecurities and all of our our self-worth concerns and wonder, well, am I good at this? Am I good at this? Or or what value? I I pray that the Spirit would just press deeply. You can make a profound difference by, by, by staking your place in a group of people and loving well and letting other people see it. Chase your gifting later. You can find love and live in love right now. And I pray that we would walk into that. I pray that Jesus would do amazing work as we would see those who are, who are far off come to know him and that our hearts would just be stirred. We had a, a, a DNA group on, on my back deck this week. It was the first time that we'd had a larger group be able to do that. And there was like seven or eight guys. And I found my heart just overwhelmed because it was like, friends, we're sharing truth and we get to see each other and we get to live amongst each other. And we just started talking about what did it look like to just invite other people into it? Who knows what we would see done for the name and fame of Jesus. You guys can stand. We're going to take communion today. If you didn't have a chance to to get one, we'll play three songs here at the end. Uh, And at any time at that front desk, there is a a little single-serve cup. At any point, you can take amongst our last songs. You don't have to be a member or anything. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. And, And here's the honest thing. If your heart is stuck in this spot going, I don't want to love other people right now, it's probably a good idea for you to skip the table today. But if your faith is in Jesus, you can come to the table and you can receive. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26 says this, "'For I received from the Lord, we I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, "'on the night when he is betrayed, took bread, "'and when he had given thanks, he broke, it, "'and he said, this is my body, which is for you. "'Do this in remembrance of me.'" Friends, I pray that as we take that, that we see that this is us seeing the love of God. I love you fully now. And I've paid the price to prove it. And I acted first to prove it. So as you take it, you're remembering the love of God towards you. In the same way, you also tuck the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can remember that there was a sacrifice for you. And in every insecurity, in every way that you still fall short, there was blood over your sin as well. So take, see the love of God through the table. And I pray that as we worship in these last songs, you just ask the Holy Spirit, will you help me see community more clearly and place a bigger vision in us more collectively about what it would look like to be your people and see our city transformed through seeing a beautiful love that you've created. I pray that that would happen. God, thank you for today. I pray that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that these just aren't empty claims about love that you would transform us give us belief help us fight our unbelief where we believe no i've tried that and it won't work or it can't work or it won't happen or anything like that or maybe we even believe that your love isn't good right now or loving community isn't good lord i pray your holy spirit would come and speak truth to that It is a good gift that you have reconciled us to you and then not left us alone to walk out that reconciliation. We have family members. We have brothers and sisters in the faith that we get to walk with. May we see that clearly. May our hearts have joy in that. May our hearts be just churned in that, that you are a good father who's done much for us. What do we pray that. Do your work. Holy Spirit, come. We pray just not even just for today, but for the next coming months. May we engage the people around us differently. There's nothing left to prove. But would you give us the boldness to just invite people in to see you? Holy Spirit, we pray through that that you would do a good work. That some who would far off would come to know you and they'd come to life in you. Lord, we pray that in your glorious name. Be with us. We love you. Thank you for your mercy your patience.